What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This week, we got the most recent numbers on inflation, the ones the Fed pays attention to, and core PCE came in just about where expected, showing inflation growing 2.4% year over year. After the most recent numbers, we sat down with San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly and asked her how she squares the strong growth and jobs numbers with the relatively weak consumer sentiment figures. When you think about how hard it is to work as hard as you can, work multiple jobs, and not be able to afford things one month to the next, that has a psychological toll that I think we can't underestimate. And as the economy continues to make gains and we bring inflation down, that scar, if you will, will start to heal. But people need that certainty, and that's why we keep saying we're not done until we're done. You know, this, these good inflation data that we're seeing, that's not price stability. Two is. For people in financial media and on Wall Street, the number one issue is rate cuts. Yes, uh, that is their number one <laughs> issue. But we, we work for the American people, not necessarily, not for markets. So. But, but, but explain it to In your summary of economic projections, the last one, you have three in for the year. That's a projection. It's not a promise. Uh, but uh, and some people think you should have more. Maybe some people think you have less. Why are we talking about rate cuts at all, given the strength of the economy? I mean, the economy seems to be doing just fine with the rate cuts you put in place. So we put a projection out about what we think we'll need to do if the economy evolves as we expect it to. So what's the expectation? Inflation continues to come down gradually. The labor market and the economy slow, but don't tip over. And then it would be appropriate as inflation comes down to bring the nominal rate of interest down to make sure we're not holding on even tighter because we want to avoid the following. We want to avoid holding on all the way to 2%, the putting policy very tight, and then cause an unnecessary downturn that you give people lower inflation, but you cost them their jobs. So that's a balancing act that means we have to be calibrating. So. I want to just be clear, though, you don't see many Fed officials, including myself, talking about rate cuts. You see us talking about restoring price stability, bringing inflation down, being data dependent, looking at the full balance, being patient and methodical. So I I do think that message is clear. It's not always what people necessarily want to hear, but it is a clear message that we've been on. I'm not expecting you to tell us when you're going to cut rates, but let me ask a different question. (laughs) I'm old enough to remember when Potter Stewart in the Supreme Court said about obscenity, you'll know it when you see it. How will you know it when you see it? This is the time we should start cutting rates. That's a that's a great question. So I would what I look at is what I think of as a dashboard of indicators. And the dashboard of indicators has the published data, which everybody focuses on. But those tend to be data points. And you don't want to be data point dependent, you want to be data dependent. So you have to look underneath the hood of those data and really see what's driving them. And also you have to talk to people. And what I'm looking for right now is for the published data to continue to gradually slow and inflation to gradually come down. But for when I the, the behavior, when I talk to firms, when I talk to businesses, et cetera, that they're saying, oh yes, we're not going to continue to raise prices. 
oh, yes, we see input costs coming down. Workers saying, we see jobs, we want to stick with our employer, we are not worried about 5% wage growth because we don't feel inflation's going to continue. I'm looking for those things to all come together and form a collage of, of evidence, if you will, that we are on the path to price stability sustainably. I'm seeing parts of that. I see a lot of green shoots, as we like to say, but we're not there yet. You talked about your dashboard. Uh, let me ask about one specific uh, figure on your dashboard, and that is inflation numbers. There's some concern now that maybe inflation is overstated. I've talked to a couple of people who are pretty active in real estate, commercial real estate, in recent days who said the owner equivalent rent is overstating inflation as a practical matter. Somebody said actually recently on this program as much as 1.7 to 1.8%. Are you concerned that maybe we're overstating inflation right now? So that's a really terrific question, and it, it might help for me to just talk about how I look at the data. So there are multiple inflation indicators, and you can unpack all of them into what's driving them. But we can't just look at those published inflation data to see the story. We have to actually go into communities and look at what's happening with local house price appreciation, what's happening with rental price appreciation. And there you do see the elements of the slowing you would expect to see. So I actually am growing more confident that housing inflation, shelter inflation, rental inflation are going are coming down. The speed at which they come down is still unknown, but I'm not seeing signs that they're picking back up yet. One of the hot questions about the economy right now is why productivity numbers have appeared to rise and whether it has anything to do with generative AI. Now, the thing I learned, I, I went to the Fed to work for the first time in 1996. So I'm on the ground in the Bay Area looking at this productivity boom. And what I learned from that period of time is that it's not about the innovation itself. It's about how people use it. And if we use this effectively and well, and we make sure we have the right you know, rules and regulations and work together on it, then it has a chance to create a productivity boom. If we don't, then it will just be the next newest thing that you know, ends in some productivity gains, but not lasting productivity growth. And I think that's really the, the, the choice point we're at. So yes, I see it, um, but I'm unwilling to say this is the next productivity boom, but I think the, the little seeds of it are certainly out there. Understanding it's way too soon to tell for sure. Still to think about the possibilities, what possible effects could this have on economic policy, and particularly monetary policy? Because if you really do have abundant productivity growth, that affects your inflation calculation, does it not? Absolutely. So one of the things we saw last year, and I think it's useful to just look at last year, we had two things that were surprising. We had greater labor supply based on just the domestic workforce increasing their labor force participation, and we had more immigration than, than many had penciled in. So that's a positive in terms of the number of workers interested in working. The second thing we had, though, was this boom in productivity growth that you noted. You put those two things together, and we were able to grow faster without being inflationary. And I think that is the number one question on my mind for policy. Are we working with a fixed pie that's growing slowly? You know, the economy's expanding slowly. Are we getting something on the productivity side that allows us to grow more quickly without inflation uh, rising up? And that's the question for policy. If we get the productivity boom, then like in the 1990s, we don't have to try to slow growth in order to bring inflation down. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Tech, and most recently generative AI, has been driving the economy and the markets. And Silicon Valley is something of a poster child for what tech has become. But we may overlook other places where tech is making a big difference. Places like Oregon. It is not just Silicon Valley. You can go to Oregon. That's the home of chip manufacturing and has been for two decades or more. We have Silicon Slopes in Salt Lake City, a burgeoning community. Even in periods, and people think of it as Northern California, but LA has a considerable amount of tech, and Boise, Idaho is building itself up as a, as a tech center. Now, they all do different kinds of things, but to suggest that Silicon Valley is the, the only thing out there is, is, is really a misnomer. What is the reason why you have such a concentration of tech in your district? I mean, we tend to think of Silicon Valley as being close to Stanford and Berkeley and some universities. Is it the educational system there? Is it some other factors? It's just critical mass. I think there is a bit of critical mass, and there's a number of research studies that say, you know, these network effects are large. So one of the things we've seen is, and you see this anywhere in the country, really, is that People might start in Silicon Valley, they might start in Austin, Texas, they might start in Boston, but then they move. You know, family things take them other places. It's, we have a lot of lovely states to live in, so people go other places. And then they build those tech centers around them because they have the expertise. As strong as the tech sector is in Mary Daly's region, commercial real estate has been struggling a bit, as it has in some other major urban areas. Commercial real estate's a big name for a lot of different segments. So if you're in industrial and warehousing space, you're feeling very good about things right now. If you're in retail space or even multifamily housing out in suburban areas, then you're feeling really good, you're confident. The place where you're seeing weakness, and, and, and everybody knows it, is in the urban cores of particularly cities like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco. L.A. is doing a little bit better, but you can find pockets of this in L.A. And that has to do with the fact that a lot of people are still working from home in those communities. Those big office complexes that were built up for those individuals to work in, they just aren't. Uh, they're not filled, and so there will be a repricing and a resettlement. The, the thing is we've known it's coming for a while, and I see private equity money, venture money, sitting on the sidelines ready to come in when the price is right. So there'll be some repricing, there'll be some loss of, of valuations for sure, 
but it doesn't seem today to be the kind of disorderly adjustment that you would worry about. It's something that is more orderly, even though it might be it's certainly going to be painful for those involved. It's not is going is likely to be as disruptive. One of the concerns is about regional banks, which tend to be more exposed to, to real, commercial real estate. And then we've heard about that from the Fed in Washington. Absolutely. Some concern about that. Uh, how do you assess it out there? You have a little experience with this, <laughs> with Silicon Valley Bank and things like that. Well, how do you assess the risk for the banks, the regional banks? Yeah, so I would separate um, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic, which really they all three had the same experience, which is depositors who were uninsured ran. And that's a different situation than the commercial real estate. But what they did, what that situation did, is it alerted all investors and depositors to the fact that there's a portfolio underlying the health of a bank and we should focus on that portfolio. I think it's useful to remind people too, we have over 4,500 banks in the United States <laughs> and only three failed. So the banking system is safe and sound and resilient, but there will be adjustments. And one of the things that you've heard the vice chair of supervision, Michael Barr speak about and other, the FDIC chair and OCC is really focusing their efforts on ensuring that banks are preparing for those adjustments. So it's certainly there. The, the final thing though that I think is really often not known is that regional banks don't have a lot in these big urban core office buildings. Those are really investor owned. And so it's useful to separate the concerns you might have about regional banks on commercial real estate from those big you know, monolithic empty buildings that everybody's worried won't get filled. Many thanks to Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Fed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.